bless you, give you thanks again. And we come in the name of Jesus, the name that is above all names, the name that the name that is highly exalted. And so we welcome your Holy Spirit and ask Holy Spirit that you would be our teacher. Lord, you've given me this assignment tonight, but you, Holy Spirit, are the teacher. So come and teach, come and abide, and let us experience your presence tonight. Lord, we ask that your word will minister to your people, even edify, encourage, and comfort them with a prophetic unction. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are excited tonight, and uh, we're not going to go back and review everything that has already been said the last couple of weeks, starting with Genesis 1, all the way through Genesis 39. Uh, but I'm going to, uh, I'll do a little bit of it uh, just in the context of, of what we start to see in chapter 40 of Genesis. That's Genesis 4-0. Uh, so basically, we were Genesis 40 through 50, uh, and also a portion of Job. I'm going to focus primarily on Genesis, actually say primarily, I'm going to focus exclusively on that last Genesis portion. I will not get into Job, I'm going to say that this is actually a pretty good segue into Job, and I can see why uh, the, the people who put together the structure for this reading throughout the year would go from Genesis 50 into Job. It does kind of make sense. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll hopefully expound upon just a little bit of that transition here tonight. Uh, if you bear with me, I do have a few slides that I'll try to share while we're teaching. Let's just start tonight with a thought that we have from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer is one of my favorite writers and favorite theologians. Uh, he, of course, was um, well-known as theologian and uh, pastor during the time that the Nazis rose to power in Germany. And uh, ultimately, we, we would probably consider him a martyr. Um, he definitely died for the faith. Um, and, and so uh, not just a brilliant mind, but also someone who really had a heart to the Lord a heart for the things of God, a heart for love, a heart that that really transformed the people around him. He spent many years in prison, uh, and uh, during his time in prison, he was still ministering to people uh, before he was ultimately executed. Uh, but one of the things that Bonhoeffer said in, in what is called the Letters of Papers from Prison, he said, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or admit to do, and more in the light of what they suffer. So let's just kind of keep that thought percolating here below the surface, that, that much of what we are going to talk about tonight involves this business of suffering. And, and we as believers, we as members of a community of faith in Jesus Christ, uh, if you've done it for any amount of time, uh, then you'll probably be able to relate to that theme of suffering. Uh, so that's just one of the things that we want to talk about tonight, about suffering. But uh, overall, as we consider uh, what, what happens in the first 39 chapters or so of the book of Genesis, we, we have this great story of um, you know, obviously God calls Abram in, in Genesis chapter 12, uh, and he begins the nation through Abram, 
We have Abram and then Isaac and Jacob. Jacob then uh, has uh, his name changed to Israel. Uh, and, and one of his sons is this person named Joseph. And Joseph is uh, really going to be the, the way we go about talking tonight about what the Lord is, is kind of speaking. Uh, but even though I say Joseph, at the same time, remember, the Bible is, is really about Jesus. So even though we have all these cast of characters, we really are talking about Jesus. So, so even though Joseph is going to be uh, our, our focal point of the discussion, Jesus is really who we'll also be talking about. And I think by the end, uh, we'll go ahead and make that connection as well. Uh, so I was tasked with looking at Genesis 40 through 50. And the beginning of chapter 40 says, after this, the king of Egypt's cupbearer and his baker offended the king, Pharaoh. Pharaoh put them in the prison where Joseph was confined. So Joseph had been confined to prison. Um, and the, the Bible says, after this. So the question really first that jumps out at me is, well, what is the this? <laughs> after what? And so as you see on your screen, I, I've identified in bullet form what the this is. So when we find Joseph in chapter 40, these things that we see on the screen uh, preceded him being there in prison. In Genesis chapter 37, we find that Joseph is a dreamer. Wow, he, he, he dreams just like his, his dad dreamt, right? Just like Jacob dreamt. Joseph was a dreamer. And so we know that he has these two dreams at the beginning of Genesis 37, and uh, he shares that dream with his siblings, and uh, he's, he's then sharing the second dream with everyone, including his parents. And these dreams basically are, are, are putting Joseph in a place up here and everyone else down there. Uh, so he, he articulates these two dreams in Genesis 37. Uh, and because of these dreams and because of Jacob's father's love for him, Joseph is hated and rejected by his brothers. Uh, after uh, Joseph is thrown into a pit by his brothers because they had conspired to, not to kill him, uh, but they conspired to get rid of him because they were jealous of him. They were um, angry about the dreams that he had and that he shared, uh, and they were, they were ready to just kind of do away with him. So they reject him, throw him into a pit, and um, Joseph is ultimately sold for 20 pieces of silver, uh, and then he's sold again uh, a second time by the Midianites who originally purchased him, uh, and this time he sold uh, to Potiphar the Egyptian. While Joseph is in Potiphar's house, uh, managing the household, uh, Joseph is ultimately falsely accused of uh, attempting to uh, assault Potiphar's wife, and he is ultimately thrown into prison. So all of these things are happening in Joseph's life when we find him in Genesis chapter 40. So the after this, the this is all of those things. 
Um, Joseph dreamt. Joseph is hated. Joseph is rejected. Joseph is seen with his pit. He's stripped of his uh, robe of many colors that his father had made for him. He is sold into slavery, sold a second time, finds himself uh, still having some favor, but ultimately he stops the accused and then he's thrown into prison. So all of these things are happening when we find him in chapter 40. So tonight, even though that's kind of the background and, and puts everything, I hope, in basic context, I really want to focus on some of the takeaways uh, or, or some of the applications that we can talk about tonight about Joseph's story. Now, I don't want this just to be me giving a talk. Uh, I, I do want it to be interactive. So at some point, uh, we will definitely stop the talking and I'll start listening to some things that you all might might want to share or that you have on your heart. Uh, but I, I do want this to be a night where we're transparent. I understand that there are some things you know, people don't necessarily want to share uh, that are too personal, and I get that. Um, but but I do think that this story of Joseph uh, and then some of the applications from it, uh, if we are truly a body of Christ and uh, we are a family of believers, then tonight might be a good time for someone uh, to share some things that um, might might be a little transparent in their lives. I'll probably share a story or two here and there. Uh, but but I just say that to kind of warm you up and, and, and maybe get in your mind some things or some experiences that you've had as a believer that are difficult experiences, uh, not the uh, the, the roses and uh, not not the beautiful things that, that kind of happen uh, in our lives, uh, but those difficult times, those struggles. Uh, and so, if you are if you are willing, uh, I, I hope that someone or a couple of us will will be able to share some of those experiences tonight as we continue to go through uh, this text and, and look at applications of Joseph's story. So. I, I found that there are at least four applications of Joseph's story in Genesis 40 through 50. There, there are probably more. I, I don't profess to, to have all the answers or all the insights. But, but at least four applications, I think, appear in Joseph's story. And these four we see are suffering, self-denial, spiritual gifts, and then ultimately, which is the most important, seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus. I, I kind of want to start there because I, I, I always want to do more and more <laughs> about Jesus. Uh, so so uh, we'll get there. I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Uh, the first application, though, let's, let's talk about suffering. Now, you heard all of the things that Joseph had been through, right? But if, if I had to sum up what his suffering was really about, it was ultimately that he was suffering rejection. It was rejection. Now, I know that many of us uh, at times in our lives have had physical ailments and, and things that have been difficult to deal with, 
but there, there's something about suffering rejection that is especially painful and especially difficult. And we see Joseph really dealing with rejection, rejection by those who are closest to him, rejection by his brothers. Now, I'm not saying he didn't play a little bit of a, a role in that himself because he's he's getting these dreams uh, and, and he's bragging uh, almost about these dreams and how he's elevated in these dreams above his his family uh, and, and so maybe that really is the impetus for for them treating him the way they did uh, but but whether he had a role to play in it or not or how much that that contributed to it the clear thing that we see here in the scriptures is that his brothers hated him and they rejected him The feeling of rejection is something, though, that is somewhat common to every true follower of Christ. Believers suffer rejection. I mean, I think some people suffer that rejection. I know if you grew up in a family that's not a Christian family and you get saved, well, maybe maybe then people reject you because um, because of that new newfound life you have. But but it's not always just in those situations. I mean sometimes it's people even in a faith-filled family uh, can still find themselves rejected by those closest to them. Um you know I, I think I remember uh, the story that Benny Hinn often talks about how when he was the kid, he was he was really a reject. Once he once he came to Jesus and and began to know who Jesus was, he was the outcast of his family. Uh, he was basically belittled in school. So uh, you know he he talks about the painful part of being a believer in terms of rejection. I don't know what it is about rejection that that's so painful and it it penetrates into our soul uh but you know when, when you have people that you love and they profess to love you too when they then cast you aside or, or reject you it hurts it hurts those are real wounds and I think that sometimes as as Christians, we like to put on our use of you know, suits and clothes and, and fancy dresses to church. Maybe you want to do that in the deeper south, I'm not sure. Uh, but up here, uh, you know, people don't always wear suits and you don't always you don't always get up looking your Sunday best uh, if you even go into a sanctuary. Um, but I, I say that because you know normally people would get dressed up because you're trying to put on this image that everything's great. Uh, I'm a believer and there are no problems. And even if I have problems, Jesus is going to solve them. And therefore, um, I am I'm too blessed to be stressed, as, as people sometimes say. Uh, that, that's not how I live. That's not, that's not how I live. Um, there are 
benefits, I think, to honestly um, communicating some of the things that you suffered. Right? I know that misery loves company, so I'm not saying that you know anyone can fall off a friend and write with each other. But at the same time, things that you suffer, it's okay to share those things. And I know that many faith leaders, you know, pastors and people who stand behind the pulpit and try to teach others often are not as transparent as, as we could be or should be. Uh, and I think that there's something beautiful about Joseph's suffering and us being able to read about it in great detail. You know, how would you like it if, if your life of suffering and challenge was written in a book that a bunch of people eventually get a chance to read um, and then criticize it and, and analyze it? Your, your life... Um, might be somewhat like Joseph. And maybe you've suffered some things. Maybe you've suffered those, those things of rejection. Um, but but I just want to encourage you tonight that it's okay. Like, being rejected really becomes one of the identifying characteristics of being a believer. But at the same time, it's okay to share with others what that rejection is. I, I remember when, I think Krista was talking a little bit about it uh, in, in my bio earlier, uh, but uh, when I was practicing law, I was, um, you know, I, I didn't love it, but I, I was doing it, and it was kind of who I thought I was going to be, at least it was the work that I was going to do. And I remember uh, when, when God spoke to me that day, and, and called me while I was at work. I, I still remember that it was yesterday. He just interrupted my life and said, "No, you are really going to preach." Uh, and so I felt that it was just going to be a you know, kind of a bivocation thing. I would um, practice law on one hand, and then I would be in a pulpit doing something else uh, in the church. Wow! How how, how arrogant and how naive uh, that I thought that I could really kind of handle both of those. That's not to say that bivocational ministry is not possible, but it is. Uh, but when it came to the call that God was placing on my life, um, I, I eventually came to understand what uh, he was saying to me, you know, I'm not all of you, I'm not just, not just a part of you. And so then that transition uh, where everything in my life began to change, um, also resulted in some rejection. Not not everyone was was happy about that, um, and 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 not being able to convince people that no, this was this is the best thing because uh, this is what God is telling you to do. Um, the place of rejection ultimately leads you to a place of loneliness. Right, loneliness. You can have a you can have friends. You can have a family. You can have people around you constantly, but still be lonely. And so when you when you're rejected, um, that, that place of loneliness, uh, in some ways, it's still where God wants you to be because some things I think we can only accomplish in a place of being alone, right? Even though Jesus went across with 
uh, people on the left and the left on the right and 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 uh, a crowd below, and he's on the cross. I mean, he could only go to the cross alone. It was it was him, and so God seems to have suffering be a part of our process, right? He he puts us in situations that allow us to suffer. Um, I'm not sure what Psalm is, but uh, it, it says that you know, God made known his acts to the children of Israel and his ways to Moses, right? There's a difference between understanding what God does compared to why he does it and how he operates. And so one of my prayers as we entered 2023 was for the Lord to reveal to me his ways, right? Like he showed me, show me your way. Well, one of the one of the ways of God is suffering. So sometimes I think we are in situations where we're challenged and we are suffering things and we're dealing with spiritual battles that we attribute to the enemy and say the devil is doing this and Satan is busy. And yes, he is. But often God, if he's not orchestrating that directly, he's certainly allowing certain things to happen. But it's in this suffering and especially the suffering of rejection that he begins to define us and purify us. And ultimately, I think he does it so that we bear fruit. But he allows us to feel those things, to feel that suffering. You know, the number of times I was kind of told I was crazy, uh, that what I was doing was irresponsible. Uh, that there's no way God could have said that. Yeah. You know, people can say things that are, that are hurtful, even if they don't intend to do that. And then in doing so, they're rejecting you. They, they're not agreeing with your path. They're not agreeing with your decision. They're not agreeing with um, you know, the direction that you're taking in your life. That's rejection. And I think some of some of the feeling of rejection that makes it hurt so much is because when someone rejects you, it's like them saying they think less of you. Right? They 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 don't think very highly of you if they reject you. And I think that puts us in those places where we question ourselves and question what we're doing. But even in a place of rejection, I think what the scriptures show us is that when you walk with Jesus, after rejection, he does cause you to rise, right? Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but Jesus is the same thing, right? He's rejected, but he rises again on the third day to rejection. Joseph is thrown into this pit suffering rejection but ultimately he rises to that elevated place in the kingdom of egypt eventually 
Joseph sums it up and, and, and says, look, all these things that happened to me, initially I thought that it was, it was just some bad stuff, right? He said, but I realized that actually God has done it and allowed me to be able to you to preserve life. So after this rejection and this season of suffering, God is right there to help us rise. And after we rise, it's kind of when we have this realization of what God's plan has really been. That's a bit of a bizarre thing to me that, that God does it that way, right? It's almost like I would prefer if I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to suffer some things. I would kind of like to know why while I'm going through it, right? But, but God's way seems to be that he's going to go allow us to go through these seasons and then maybe not fully reveal the purpose and plan until after we've risen from that place. I guess in one way, that kind of goes back to the theme of Genesis and the entire Bible. And I think Krista, in, in, in her teaching last week, she pointed out what she thought was the most important verse in the Bible, and that, that really dealt with Abraham's faith being recognized as righteousness. So that that faith piece, that everything that we are, our, our identity in Christ, our very being, is rooted in faith. And so I, I say all that to say that I think God may allow us to suffer some things and go through some things without fully explaining why until afterwards, so that while we're in the fire, while we're in the midst of it, what do we have to do to get through? We have to have faith in him. We've got to hold on to him. So I guess since his significant way is faith, maybe that's one of the ways we explain our suffering that he allows us to suffer to increase our faith. I know it's from the human's standpoint, but the human reasoning, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? I'm, I'm going to allow you to suffer so that you trust me more. Like, it's like, no, if someone's putting you through something, you want less of that person. That's not his way. His way is in the midst of the challenge, in the midst of your suffering, hold on to me. Have faith in me. And so I think that's what we see with Joseph. Joseph doesn't have all the answers. In his suffering, he still has favor, right? There are a few, a few places in, the, in those chapters where it says, but Joseph had favor. God was with him, right? His his experience was what it was, but God was always with him, always carrying him through one challenge, through the next challenge. God was always with him. And I think, again, that's one of the reasons why suffering is hard, because not only do you feel like you're alone in terms of other people, they're helping you. You can feel like God's not even there. If he is, why wouldn't he stop this suffering? 
I feel like I'm kind of prophesying and speaking to someone tonight uh, in particular. Uh, I'm not sure who it is, but but just be encouraged that that the place of suffering is just a prelude to the place of glory, the place of exaltation, the place where God really has destiny for you. Um, I was I was reading. Um, just kind of glancing the view earlier, and I saw that you know when Sarah and Abram were in their situation, so that you know, Sarah was barren. She must have felt rejected by God that she couldn't conceive and have a child. But that place where she was. It's only because God really had a greater purpose, right? He's building the nation of Israel, but even more than that, he's building the lineage through which the Messiah, Yeshua, would come. And so Sarah had to be delayed in producing a child because of what God was really up to. So all those days, all those weeks, all those months, all those years where she must have been suffering, depressed, confused, angry, all of that eventually made sense because it was part of God's people. But you only get there by faith, by trusting him even when you can't see the end. So I think that's that's probably the the, the biggest chunk of, of of these two things I want to talk about. Um, it, it's that it's that suffering is real. You're not alone in suffering, and it's okay to be transparent in that. Remember when Jesus uh, had risen from the grave and. He goes into the room where the disciples are, and you know, Thomas. Thomas wasn't the only guy, right? There was other doubters. Uh, and and Jesus says, "Right, look, look at my look at my my wounds. Look where they pierced me, right? Look 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 at my back. Look, look where they struck me." That's one of his ways, I think, of of saying, "Be transparent with your wounds. Be transparent with what you've suffered." There's a beauty in being transparent. Now, one of the most difficult things for me was when I made that transition, what kind of repercussions there were. You know, before that, I like when I lived in a nice big bus and I kept running into new cars and, and all this stuff. And obedience meant, for me at least, obedience meant all of that was lost. You know, so you, you go through you know, losing a home, you go through having to return your vehicles, you uh, go through uh, them having poor uh, credits, and you can't um, easily find another place to live. Um, 
you know, I mean, having two little kids, like, these are all the things that are going on, even in a place of obedience. But God has a plan. He's got a plan. And, and in suffering is when we need to trust him. He strips us of anything that's inconsistent with what he wants for us. And we just want to keep pressing through. And that's kind of related to application number two, which is self-denial. Denying yourself, denying who you are and following his lead. Now, Joseph, you know, in, in this in this sense, um, he, he is, he starts in his father's house Right, and it wasn't really a, it wasn't a direct act of his own. Obviously, he talked about how his brothers um, hated him and conspired against him, but he had to bear this cross, cross of rejection, and still find a way forward. As believers, I don't think we fully are able to count the cost of discipleship at first. Like, I just remember when I grew up in the church and I I, I, I was saved officially people like now 13 years old went to Jimmy Scott Crusade in school and come to Maryland and not that church to the blessed for family and and, and I remember being um, at the stadium and walking down, confessing Jesus. I was in the Lord and I was saved and I was happy. Um, but I, I never really thought that following Jesus would be the cause for challenge and pain and difficulty. Like, that's not what people want to hear. People want to hear, and it's true, versus like, and, he, and I, I prayed this this morning, I took the prayer call, but he always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. And yes, we will be victorious through our challenges, but there's a place before the victory that can be difficult, that can be painful. And it's not because all the time you've done something disobedient. It can, in fact, be because you're obedient, or it's just circumstances beyond your control. It's what other people are doing. But whatever it is, there comes a place to be a true follower where we have to really deny ourselves. What does that mean to do yourself? It, means exactly that. It means who you think you are on your own, that person cannot exist consistent with following Jesus. Only once we have that identity in Christ and submit to that do we kind of really know who we are. And, and I think we have we have a problem with submission. Yeah, especially here in America, a 
quote, free nation. I want someone telling you what to do. Say you've got to do this, do that. This is the way to do, do certain things or to behave in certain situations. Um, you know, we're, we're a free-minded people. And so the idea that that you have to deny yourself of anything um, to truly be a disciple of Christ is not something that is easily grasped or easily lived. And, and so not only do we have to suffer sometimes, but we really do have to continue to practice this is self-denial. It's a part of it. It's a part of his ways that he has for us. So a little bit of a of a um, um clean break now. Let's let's shift to uh what, what I wanted to talk about next, which is somehow spiritual gifts are floating around here in this Joseph story. There is something here that really sparked my attention as it concerns spiritual gifts. So Joseph is a dreamer, but not only that, he has this gift to interpret. So he is interpreting Pharaoh's dream. He, he interprets the, the, the baker and the, and the cupbearer's dreams. He also interprets Pharaoh's dreams. Proverbs 18.16 says that a man's gift makes room for him. So there Joseph was in prison. Even though he had helped uh, the cupbearer with his dream interpretation sometime before, while the cupbearer, when he goes back to his position, he forgets about Joseph until a pharaoh has these disturbing dreams and needs someone to interpret it. So there comes Joseph. Because he's got this gift of interpreting about interpreting dreams, there's room for him where Pharaoh is. And so he, he comes in, he gives the interpretation, and that's what propels him to this place from where he was in the pit. Now he's, as I say, in the penthouse, right? He's, he, he's made that, that jump because of the gift that God had given him. But the gift was really not for Joseph's benefit alone. It was really about the common good. So let's think about the story. Um, Joseph, when he makes this interpretation and then gets this promotion, he comes up with this plan for dealing with the famine that is coming seven years later. So he says, look, the first seven years, we're going to uh, set aside this amount. So that when when the seven years of famine come, we're going to have enough to get through it. Ultimately, the people, you know, the money fails, uh, and 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 basically just to survive, everyone sells what they have, uh, and Joseph continues to implement his strategy to keep everyone alive and still build. Pharaoh's wealth. It's not just the Egyptians that he helps. It's also, obviously, his own family. As he has this, uh, this kind of back and forth with him that he's, that, that, he's, that he's showing here. 
uh, what am I trying to say? I'm, I'm trying to say that this kind of highlights what First Corinthians 12 and 7 says, which is that spiritual gifts are really for the benefit of the common good. So as we said, Joseph's spiritual gift of dream interpretation was used as the way to gain favor in Pharaoh's sight and also related to the common good of Egypt during the famine and for that of his family. But this business of spiritual gifts, why why do I want to talk about that a little bit tonight? Well, we over here in our Western world have this preoccupation with personal fulfillment and individualism and selfism. And it's kind of hard for us to grasp this perspective that spiritual gifts are not for us per se, but for our service to God and others. It's not about finding our identity, but rather living out our vocation, living out what we're called to do. That's what we see with Joseph. That dream interpretation gift is something that is used ultimately for the common good to benefit everyone. And so I just kind of thought, hey, this is a good time to remind people tonight that as 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 you consider what your what your spiritual gifts are, to remember that they're given for the common good, they're not really just for us. We we want to know what our purpose is in the world. What does God want us to do? What is he calling us to do? Well, trying to understand our spiritual gifts becomes a critical part of seeing how we are called to participate in God's global network of believers. He will use the gift in you somehow that will affect the common good of the body of Christ or even for those outside of the body. So let's just talk for just a few minutes about uh, this, this idea of spiritual gifts and what is the gift. Uh, so the Greek word for gift uh, in, in its primary sense uh, is this noun, Gion. it's the English word that we get donation, and then chorus, the word we get the English charismatic, it technically means grace. So in scripture, we're really speaking of more than spiritual gifts. In a technical sense, a spiritual gift is more appropriately described as a concrete expression of grace. So in some, we're really talking about spiritual gifts that are the equivalent of the spirit's expressions of grace. Remember in the scripture, Joseph, it says, Joseph found favor. But this is another way of saying Joseph received grace. Grace in those situations, he continued to have the unmerited favor of God in him. And his gift of interpreting was really an expression of God's grace. What is, if you see this reference here to John 1, 16 and 17, uh, that's without that great chapter where in the beginning was the word, the word with God, the word was God, right? The word became flesh and breath among us. And it says, and we have all received of his grace, right? Grace upon grace. The law came to Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Jesus is really the ultimate expression of grace, right? He's God's gift. 
um, and and so um, even though we're, we're looking here in the Old Testament at the story of Joseph, I think we can see that that God's grace was evident as Joseph brought out his gift. It was God's gift of interpretation that ultimately saved all of those people. So, so as we are, uh, you know, contemplating certain things in our own lives, um, I think as we consider our spiritual gifts, it's good to be reminded that th those gifts are really not for us, but for the common good. And more than anything, those gifts in us are really an expression of God's grace through us. I don't know about you, but I, I certainly am not uh, worthy of, of any of the gifting that he's given me. It's simply by his grace. I think Paul said, look, you know, by his grace, I am what I am. Not not for any any other reason, uh, but other than him having grace and giving gifts to us. So when we receive those gifts, I think Joseph is reminding us that those gifts of grace in us are for the benefit of others in the body. Now, we talked about um, suffering. We talked about self-denial. We talked about sorry, this is where I get a little excited. Because of all the things we talked about, this whole thing about Joseph is just an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Jesus is so evident throughout the story of Joseph. It's it's hard to miss. It's hard to miss. So what we wanted to kind of end with if we open up the discussion, we just have thoughts that you might have tonight is this story of Joseph is really about seeing Jesus. So we're doing your screen here. We, we see the person that I have where is beloved. We compare uh, the two. Joseph was the beloved of his father. We see in Genesis 373. Jesus is the beloved of the father in Matthew 3. Sins. Remember, Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, but he did not give in. He didn't sin. Jesus was tempted and he did not sin. There was a conspiracy for both of them. Joseph's brothers conspired to kill him. Jesus' brethren probably killed him. This was an interesting point. The conspiracy that Joseph's brothers formed. They were eating a meal. How is it that someone can be conspiring against you over a meal? Right? Yeah, that's kind of crazy. They're just going to sit around and have a meal and at the same time come up with this scheme and plan to destroy their brother? But that's what happened in the conspiracy. And the parallel to Jesus is, remember, Jesus is betrayed being during the celebration of the passing. Striking similarities. Stripped. Joseph was stripped of his coat. Jesus was stripped 
the discord. So Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Numbers. Joseph, remember, was in prison with the cupbearer and the baker. So he's in there with two transgressors. So was Jesus on the cross. He's numbered with two transgressors. And something similar happened. In Joseph's story, one of the prisoners lived, one of them died. On the cross, one of them dies. The other one, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Striking similarities. Unknown. Joseph was unknown to his brothers when they come to Egypt. They didn't know it was him. And today, many of our Jewish brothers and sisters don't yet recognize Jesus' deity or recognize who he is. But the greatest thing, of course, is this last word, alive. Joseph was taken out of that pit that they threw him in. He was still alive. And they brought him up out of that pit. Jesus in the tomb came out alive. I was in Israel for the first time last uh, almost just about a year ago. Let's see, February, uh, February 28th of last year. Um, so just about a year ago. And uh, I remember walking in the garden tomb and then walk in and no one there. Like, there, there are no bones, no ashes. He really is alive. Like Jesus is alive. And that sight bears witness to that, and he's alive. So, so tonight, even though we're talking about Joseph, we're ultimately talking about Jesus. So, I don't know. I've, I've kind of rambled. I've talked a lot. I hope I didn't put you on sleep. Uh, but but I really thought that there were at least those those four things that we could talk about tonight that we see in Joseph's story. We can talk about suffering, the suffering of rejection that we, we come to realize is part of an experience. It doesn't feel good, but it is what it is. Self-denial. We got to get to a place where, despite what we feel, we got to deny ourselves. These are the realities of following Jesus. These are the realities. And then, to the extent that we have gifts, remember, our gifts are an expression of His grace through us, and that the gifts are to be used to help other people. But then ultimately, this is about seeing Jesus in Joseph. Luke 24, 44, Jesus said, All things had to be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning him. For everything in this book comes back to Jesus. It's all about him. And so before I yield the floor to some questions or comments, um, I wanted to read Isaiah 53 to me. Just to just to speak it, uh, because Isaiah fifty three is is really part of what Joseph's story is all about. It's about the suffering servant of Jesus, and so uh, tonight I'm going to read uh, from my Scorpion Study Bible uh, translation. It might sound a little bit different, but 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 the word is so good. 
And let's just hear these words as we consider the suffering that Joseph did, but more importantly, the suffering of Jesus. And how ultimately this thing is about him. Isaiah said, Who has believed our report? Who has believed what you have said? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of splendor that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of suffering, he knew what sickness was. He was like one people turned away from. He was despised and he didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God in a pivot. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. We are healed by his wounds. We all run astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of his life. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate when he was cut off from the land of the living? He was struck because of my people's rebellion. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man at his death, although he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him. He made him sick. When you make him that restitution offering, he will see his seed and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will succeed by his hand. He will see it out of his anguish, and he will be satisfied with his knowledge. And the righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he submitted himself to them and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. The suffering servant, our Savior. So tonight, if if you've been in this season of suffering, if you've been dealing with rejection, I would say that there's still hope. Right? There's still hope. And the hope is in one person, in one name. It's the name of Jesus. So no better place for me to end other than talking about him. That's why we're all here. That's why we're together. And so uh, thank you for just bearing with me and, and listening as, as um, I tried to share a few bits on that part. Uh, but I, I do believe that uh, there, there is someone or some people who have, who have been suffering some things that the Lord is saying that he's with you, that he's with you, and you'll get through it. 
you get through it. You might not understand it all right now, but there is a purpose. And you will ultimately reveal to me what, what it's all for. But he's asking you to trust him more. Just as trust him. Amazing stuff. I'm so glad you finished with Isaiah 53. And I just felt from the Lord to, to tie this in a little bit to Job. Um, and I, I think you touched on it at the beginning, how, you know, Job fits in perfectly with, I mean, chronologically, of course, but also thematically with where Genesis is ending and, and where God takes us. But the theme of the suffering servant, as you said, everything points back to Jesus. And so we have, you've done a, such an amazing job, Bernie, of talking about the uh, the journey of Joseph and the parallels between Joseph and Jesus. But it's interesting in, in our reading in Job, in, uh, I'll read this really quick, in uh, Job 6, verse 9, I don't know if you all caught this, I had never seen this before in, in the read-throughs of Job, but Job actually cries out and says that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. And that phrase is so interesting that, that you just read that in Isaiah 53. Um, and of course, it, it pleased God to crush Jesus on behalf of mankind. And so you see this theme of the one who is righteous, suffering, rejection and suffering, uh, you know, in, in physical punishment or whatever in the story. Um, and then God bringing, bringing redemption or restoration through the suffering servant time and time and time again. It's one of these melodies that's played throughout all of the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, Paul's talking about, uh, and other, other apostles are talking about the need for these hardships in our lives to produce character and endurance, and perseverance, and to be conformed to the image of Christ. And in Hebrews 5, verse 8, it says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. And I think for us, to, to your point, Bernie, whatever we're going through, and we've all been through different struggles, and, and God allows these, these trials into, into our lives. Um, but it's if Jesus had to learn obedience through suffering, how much more do we? And I think to look at suffering with the lens of the Lord allowing a master tutor into our life to teach us something about Jesus, whatever we're going through, how do we take that pain how do we endure that suffering? How do we endure the hardship and develop some measure of the character of Christ through that ordeal? And, and I think that's the, that's the discipleship gain through that, uh, through that element of suffering. And, you know, David said, I will not bring a sacrifice to God that cost me nothing. And I think that principle of if we're living sacrifices and we're going through this suffering, there's a cost to remaining faithful to God when it costs you something. Maybe it's your reputation, maybe it's a job, maybe it's, maybe it's money he's asking you to lay down. Whatever it is that comes, maybe it's our health, could be anything. And the story of Job certainly illustrates that. Uh, it could be anything, it could be everything uh, in the story of Job, but it, it costs us something to follow him. And it's that costliness that, that I think brings this worshipful value to the Lord. Not that he's delighting in our suffering, but he is calling us to this life of self-denial and obedience. And that's the fragrance of the, the son or the daughter who is willing to obey, even when it's painful, 
brings a costly fragrance and a beautiful fragrance of worship to the Father. Amen. And if I if I might just tag on to that, because Bernie, it was so good the things that you've highlighted for us this evening. And also, you know, I see much relevance in how we're moving from Genesis to Job and even to the point you just made. Um, Pastor Jed, you know, Job 122 says, in all of this, meaning in all the things that were was happening to Job, it says Job did not sin by blaming God. And to me, I just see, wow, that's what that's clearly one of the intentions of the suffering to test the heart of those who are going through the trial, because that's the point of the refinement to see if you can get to a place, if the Lord can allow these things to refine you to this place of trusting him, despite all, you know, to, in order that you would recognize that God is who he said he is, he's good. And therefore you wouldn't blame God you know, for these things, as if something bad was happening to you, as if it's been imputed as God's God being wicked, you know, because there's no darkness, there's no, there's no bad in him. And he says, he'll turn all the things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, you know, so it's, and I will say you asked for something personal. And, you know, one of my personal sufferings was I lost my daughter. She was 18 years old and, um, and it was sudden and unexpected. And, in losing her, you know, truly, it's one of the monumental moments of my life that I see that test for myself. You know, when she passed away, my husband was traveling and I was alone. I'd been alone with that news all day. And I was just so heart wrenched more than I can express with words. And um, I mean, I've just never felt something like what I was experiencing, the grief and, um, but I was in my kitchen floor in this room. And, uh, I just remember that, that night being on my hands and knees, just crying out to the Lord. And I had my hands in the air and I had music playing worship music. I was just in it and what was playing. And I had just played like Alexa in my house, just a worship station, but the song came on. It is well with my soul. And as it came on and the words just went penetrated my heart, I was truly like tears of joy and grief happening at the same time. I was so surrounded by the presence of God in that moment. And I just trusted him with it. I didn't understand it, but I trusted him with it. And his presence filled my house. Like I can't even explain what that experience did for me, even in increasing my faith even more. And I already had great faith, but it's just, um, you know, his, I've got to experience his promises of being close to the brokenhearted in a new way. But also I realized that God got to experience me too, because just like when Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac and, and he went to do it and the Lord stopped him. And he says, now I know that you fear me. He was looking for that kind of trust. Well, I had a friend that the day after she had come over to bring a, you know, condolences and flowers and a little gift bag. And she was so precious and sweet in doing this. But, but I was disturbed by what she said to me. She actually um, offered me a sleeping pill, you know, thinking I was just going to be not able to sleep. And I just, I said, no, no, thank you. And she offered me again. Are you sure? No. And then she said, you know, 
it's okay, Krista, if you're angry with God. It, it's okay. I just want you to know it's okay to be angry with God. And she had lost some people in her family too. But I remember that just striking me so odd because I, it just never occurred to me to be angry with God. It never occurred to me. And I was actually offended when I heard that. I was like, I would, I would never be angry with God, even though, you know, he knew what was best. He knew what needed to happen. And, you know, I believe she's with him now, but nonetheless, that's my story of one of those moments. But I, I can look at it wholeheartedly and say, I know that God was using that for good. And I trust him with my daughter. And, and frankly, uh, Better is to be in his presence than to be here. So, you know, who would be, who would I be to hold her back from the presence of the Lord? And so I just trust the outcome to him. But nonetheless, you know, that's my personal testimony of suffering and God's faithfulness. And I just thank you for tonight and all that you've shared. Um, yes, Bernie, um, it was a great lesson. And one of the things that struck me um, was the, um, when I thought I was taking a lot of notes, and it came to me that, you know, in this in this walk that we have with Christ, we are going to lose. We're going to lose some things. We're going to lose some people. We're going to lose um, friends um, because we're in this with him. And yes, we are going to suffer because he suffered. So we're in Christ. We're going to go through what he went through. So we just have to be prepared for it and, and, and look to it because I always say I'm in good company. If I'm going through this and I'm in good company because Christ went through it too. But my personal story is um, that when I was on fire for the Lord and I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and I'm just like, what is going on? I mean, what is going on, Lord? I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've gone everywhere you asked me to go. I've done everything. Then you're going to give me this? You're going to give me this, this uncurable disease. That's only is the only way it's gonna go away is when I go away. So that was my personal struggle in getting through that and just trying to understand. But the key thing that you, that you said, Krista, too, is, is I had to trust God. And like you said, he knew this was gonna happen before he placed me in my mother's womb. So I had to go back to those scriptures to remind me that he already knew this was going to happen to me. But he still provide he still gave me those gifts to preach, to teach, to encourage, to go forth um, and to um, in, encourage other people and strengthen them and bring them into bring them to Christ. So if he knew that I was gonna be going through this struggle, then why did he give me the gifts? So when I came to that, because he knew I could handle it. He knew I could do it. He was giving me the strength every day to do what he had called me to do. And regardless of what I have, this multiple sclerosis that I've been with now for 20, 21, 22 years going into 22 years. And I'm good. I'm having some struggles, but I'm still moving. I'm still going forward. I'm still preaching. I'm still reaching. I'm still teaching. I'm still doing all those things he called me. I may be doing it a little slower, but I'm still doing it. I may be moving a little slower, but I'm still moving. I may talk a little slower, but I'm still talking. So that has not changed because he has not failed me yet. And I have to trust and believe that the destination that he's given me, the path that he has set forth for me, I'm going to be able to walk it. I'm going to be able to do what he has called me to do. 
So I'm thankful. I'm grateful. I am thankful and grateful. And I never thought I would hear my, but I'm thankful and grateful for the MS because it taught me something. It taught me something. So I'm so grateful for that. Just want to share something. Go ahead, Jack. Feel prompted. Um, thank you, uh, Krista and Connie, for sharing those powerful testimonies. Um, the Lord showed me a picture yesterday when I was at a church service and we were taking communion, and it was a very clear picture. But I think to Bernie's point, I think the Lord is prophesying to somebody, um, and the and the the image was uh, of a of a back that had been stripped and had been taking lashes from a whip, and it was cut open and bleeding. And then I just saw a bucket of water being poured over that back. And it was like cleansing these wounds. And of course, we're, we're in the communion part of the service. And I know, you know, it's Bernie just read in Isaiah 53, it's by his stripes that were healed. But I felt in that moment, and we ended up praying over, over the pastor, and he had been going through some things that we weren't aware of. But um, we take hits for, for, for the Lord, too. And... I just felt the Lord was encouraging uh, us and he's been encouraging us on this time as we're in the word. You know, the Bible talks about being washed by the water of the word, that when we take hits for 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 the Lord, he's going to wash us. Um, he takes he took he took the hits for us and now we're taking some hits for him. And there's a Paul talks about the fellowship of suffering in Christ. And so I, I believe that that even as we're in the bread for the journey, it's like that bucket of water as we're in the story of Joseph's, that, that the spirit is ministering and washing wounds and, and bringing um, cleansing to some of the hits that, that we've taken over the years um, or that are going on right now. And so I just wanted to share that. So bless y'all. You know, um, for 35 years, I lived a lesbian lifestyle. 15 years ago, God delivered me from that. And when he did, he had to take me out of everything. I lost friends that I'd had for years, 30 plus years that I had to walk away from. But what I found was everything he gave me has been so much better. And I don't regret not one second that I've done this last 15 years with him and how much, and I see that Although it was painful at times, I see that the pain, the joy has much, much outweighed the pain. Amen. Amen. I just want to thank you, Deb, for sharing that. I, I, it's such an encouragement just to see um, the fruit of true transformation, how the Holy Spirit has truly delivered and set you free because wow, you are a mighty woman of God today. So praise the Lord. We should all be like cheerleading right now. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Krista, I just wanted to um, say while we're um, being transparent and open, um, thank you for hearing God's voice and being obedient to put together this platform. You know, you, you, you so humbly say well you know our team of facilitators is this yeah 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 there, there there are there are people who are are helping but this is your vision this is your this is your baby here this thing that we are doing and so 
Um, you know, I've been blessed tonight um, preparing the word, but um, I was I was most interested in in seeing whether people were going to be moved to be vulnerable and transparent um, after the word uh, was was ministered. Um, but but none of it would have happened had you not been obedient and you were speaking to your heart and then using the gifts that he's given you to organize and to put it all together. So um, I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you for, for letting God use you and for allowing his grace to be expressed in you. I really well, I, I thank you for saying that, but I, I so have to give all the glory to the Lord. He has blown me away. It is all him. Like I truly, he blows me away. I mean, it is, I can't bring you all together. I didn't even know many of you just, you know, weeks ago, months ago, years ago, I didn't know you, you know, it's the Lord doing these things. You know, we just do our part and God pulls it together and he brings the increase and so I'm just grateful for what the Lord is doing. He is good. And this is exciting. Amen. So I would like to, um, maybe if it's okay, just ask Connie, would you would you bless us? Would you pray to close out our time together in fellowship this evening? Thank you. Yes, I will be honored to. Thank you so much. Lord, Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come thanking you for this time that you have given to us, Lord God, that we dive into your word, Lord God, and we learn more about ourselves through you, Lord God. We learn to trust you more, to seek you more, to love you more, and want to carry out the gifts that you have given to us. And we thank you, Lord, for the facilitator. We thank you for the teacher. We thank you for all those who are online tonight. And we bless you, Lord God. And we thank you and we honor you and we love you. It is in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And so we just continue to invite you all back to join us next Monday. And want to also just encourage you to participate in the daily breadcrumb videos that will go along with your daily reading. You can find those on the website at Tour of Truth. If you're not already subscribed, you can subscribe at Tour of Truth and you'll get the Saturday emails. If you don't see that you're getting them and you have subscribed, check your junk folder. And mm -hmm. uh, we just want to bless you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and ask him to have his favor and peace rest upon you. And we just pray that you are blessed and protected until we see you again. Shalom, shalom. Shalom. Shalom.